0: Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business-growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify-approved course, 1,000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify. Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years' experience in digital marketing, from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman.
1: Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's not tuned in before, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. My name's Nick and I've been hosting the show since June 2020 and what a journey it has been. We've been finishing many, many different series so far this year in 2021, talking about different types of marketing, talking about what is going on with this uh, pandemic that's gone across the world, how the e-commerce world has changed and adapted over that time. And at the moment, we're in a very, very interesting series, a series that I've wanted to run for quite a while now. And I'm delighted to say that this week we are on episode three of this series, and we may even stretch it out to sort of seven or eight TBC in terms of how many guests we get on and that sort of thing. But there's so many different angles coming out of this series. We're talking about how to build a killer Shopify store. So we've had a number of guests on already we've had Eve star who were talking about how to build an amazing store an amazing brand from the word go we then last week heard from the guys at famous about building landing pages and how landing pages can help you acquire lots and lots of new customers now i have to state that we were planning to have somebody slightly different on this week they're still joining us but it's probably gonna be next week or the week after now so we will come back to a good friend of mine called rich who as i said last week is one of the best e-commerce designers I've ever met in my life. Um, We're lucky enough to work with them quite closely. But this week, we've got um, a Shopify store themselves and Shopify Plus store to be more specific. They're called Kindred Bravely and I'm delighted to be joined today by their co-founder, Garrett Akerson. So Garrett, welcome to the show. Tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Thank you, Nick. Looking forward to uh, chatting today. Yeah, before Kindred Bravely, I ran a design and development and marketing agency. And we did mostly uh, Drupal development and digital marketing for clients. So this was a big change. My wife and I started KinderBravely in 2015 and going on six years now.
1: Nice, nice. And I guess, in a sense, was it a case then that you decided to move from agency side to becoming essentially your own client? Was that, was that part of the The process or was it something else that uh, that helped spark the new business?
2: I had been looking to get out of the agency business and really wanted to do something in direct-to-consumer e-commerce and had seen a number of different companies and clients on the agency side. You get to see everything, which I think is a big advantage. You get to see behind companies what makes them successful, how they work. And yeah, really wanted to branch out, do something new do some in e-commerce had no idea it would be in maternity and breastfeeding. That was uh, all, all my <laughs> wife. <laughs> I I hadn't expected as much, I have to say, but certainly
1: I, as somebody who is agency sides, there are certainly days where you see how some companies are operating and sort of two sides to it. I think on one side, you think, oh, we could definitely do a better job or if they just sorted this stuff out their business would be fantastic and then i think on the flip side there's also sometimes the grass is greener in terms of these guys are really really smashing it as a company and i'd love to have a go at doing doing something similar for sure so, so what got you into maternity stuff and, and babies and breastfeeding what was it did you guys have a child or was it just a, it was just the product
2: you didn't really mind what it was was there something more behind it yeah so at the time i was looking at every single niche out there probably. I I think at one point I was even looking at like sushi and sushi knives or sushi tools. <laughs> and my wife was breastfeeding our youngest, he was one at the time, and she was in the office one evening and said, "Well, have you thought about maternity and breastfeeding clothes? I can't find anything and I know exactly what I want." So it was very much out of a need.
1: Yeah, and was that the first product? Was it then just looking at clothing when you're breastfeeding, etc. A completely different purpose for clothing when, when you've got a baby to feed.
2: Yeah, exactly. She had, I think, on her list for two Christmases, a comfortable pair of nursing pajamas, nursing and breastfeeding pajamas, and just couldn't find anything. So I took her shopping her birthday's in January, went shopping for her birthday, couldn't find anything, and kind of had different pieces that she liked this aspect, like the neckline of one and the and the drape of another. And so, yeah, it was probably early February when I was really diving into different niches and, and she happened to be in the office and said, well, I know what I want in maternity and breastfeeding clothes what about doing that? And I was like, wow, it wasn't something I had thought about.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, as men, we don't we don't often think of it. But I guess it, a really good point actually to make on this though is so many people we've had on the show and so many, specifically Shopify stores, and I think it kind of comes with the nature of Shopify and the kind of community around Shopify itself or within Shopify. A lot of people do build businesses based on a need. So for example, we had a chap on quite a few times now. He used to run a fitness brand called Beast Gear, um, a chap called Ben Leonard. And it was he'd been in, a, in some sort of um, incident that hurt his body and thought, I can't work out for a while, but I do love working out. Need some money from somewhere. And I love fitness activity, but there are certain products I can't find. And I think it's similar to you guys. I can't find something that does this. Well, fine, I'll just start a business doing it, make it myself. We can't be the only people that have had this problem. And I certainly think... It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on how much stronger you think that was as opposed to just like I did years ago, just picking up any old product and then trying to sell it.
2: I think it takes a lot of different things to make a highly successful e-commerce business. And I definitely think that was one of the key ingredients for us. It has been such a need based product and. We've always solved for her and, and, and my wife has always worked on developing products that she knew she would use and like, even now that she's past breastfeeding and our team has grown enormously. It's always been about how can we fulfill that need for her, which I think it makes it so much easier when you're, when you're selling something, if it, if it has a specific purpose and need that it fulfills, as opposed to just a lifestyle brand. Sure, sure. And I think
1: just sticking with this theme for a second and a product, because we're talking about building a, a killer Shopify store in this series or building a website that people like. And one thing that's come up again and again over the last couple of episodes, surely, and it sounds very similar to this, is to build a really good store, you first need to understand the customer, the person you're selling to. And I guess that's even easier if you are that customer, as opposed to trying to learn about a completely different group of people or run focus groups or try and read... Review content and lots of other things have been suggested over the years from various guests that I've had on. But certainly, I think if you are the customer, you probably have that level of insight already, don't you? I mean, actually, you won't know everything, but I imagine that's I'm certainly quick for you guys to be like, "Well, this product works and this one doesn't," or to sell it. These are the reasons somebody would buy. It's almost sort of second nature as opposed to needing to do
2: huge amounts of market research. Yeah, I certainly think it makes your life much easier. I think it. I think it allows you to grow much quicker as well, much more quickly. Sure. Sure. You know, I I think you see, at least I see so many Shopify stores popping up that are kind of me too. And I think it's definitely much more of a challenge when you're going to the customer, asking them what they want, not to say as stores, we shouldn't do that, but we've always been much more I would say aligned with the Apple model, Steve Jobs, which is his comment of if you went to the customer and asked them what do they want in a phone, they would have you know, told you they want whatever, another button here. Or they wanted it to fold this way. I forget how that you know, exact quote goes from Steve Jobs, but they would never have told him that they wanted an iPhone. And so I I think there is a bit of a danger just going to the customer and always asking them what they want because I don't think they always know what they want. And so I think if you're selling something you're intimately familiar with and you are the end customer, in a way you can build it for yourself knowing how you would use it and what's missing, which I think gives you an advantage. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think in in my world of PPC and SEO, we
1: spend our lives looking at keywords people have typed into Google. And I think one thing that a lot of businesses, e-commerce companies, agencies forget to do that I personally find fascinating is looking at the search query. So not the keyword, but the actual thing somebody's typed into Google and then looking at the product they purchased at the end of it. And I think it very much matches exactly what you've just said, which is that people don't actually know what they want until they see it. Mm -hmm. And I think a really good example of this is if you buy a new house, I know we've gone completely extreme from (laughs) something that you would buy to breastfeed, rather up to a new house, you might think exactly what house you want, but there's always that element of, I'll just know when I see it. And there'll be things with it that weren't on your list or things that were on your list that, you know, your list of non-negotiables that you're happy to change because something else is so good you might buy a smaller house because the view is just absolutely breathtaking and you think i couldn't now i've seen this view i can't imagine not living here and seeing that every morning when i wake up or every evening when i'm going to bed just seeing the sunset across the the hills or across the city or whatever whatever gets you going but certainly with with ppc i i love looking at uh, i think one i saw the other day was somebody had looked for like a gas oven it's a quite a simple cooker to go in the kitchen and they'd actually purchase 15 microwaves. <laughs> this is so bizarre. You're looking for an yeah. oven and you purchase not one, not say but 15 microwaves at the end of it. And wow. I think exactly what you've just said. I think if you were to ask cause those search queries on PPC, that is exactly the question of what do you want? I really want an oven. And then they see these micro, oh, I really want those microwaves now. And I, yeah. I don't think it's a case of like subliminal messaging or just marketers kind of hooking you in with some fancy words. It really is a case of actually, I didn't know what I wanted until I saw it. I certainly think a lot of the most successful Shopify stores I've seen, and sounds like you guys are in a similar position to this, is you've just got some really, really great products. And sometimes it's enough that the right customers just find them and the problem with humans a lot of the time is that we're really erratic we don't we don't really follow logic we don't know what we want we're definitely not robots uh, yeah. <laughs> so when you look at marketing data and customer journeys
2: yeah well so my background is i started out in seo and ppc in 2005 and so i think the place for a keyword research is for demand and volume yep yeah. in in particular not necessarily the the specific product so for us we we'd certainly use keyword data and search query data. And we're looking at that regularly. And it's in, in particular in the beginning, I was looking at demand for nursing and breastfeeding pajamas or breastfeeding types of clothing, whether it's a tank or bras or you name it. And so mm. I think that that was key in informing us where the demand was from a product category and different types of products. But then when it came to the design of these, the actual product, that's where you, you know there's, going back to the Steve Jobs example, you know there's demand for phones. The question is, it, is, it's up to you to design the phone that's going to fit the customer's need. And tying that back to building your Shopify store, it makes it that much more easy to convert when you can show product features and benefits.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think the features and benefits, How much do you think some of those, and I'll give an example on this just to give a bit of context, but how much do you think some of the features and benefits are actually quite seasonal or can actually follow, certainly fashion will follow trends in the sense of, I bought a pair of shoes, which I I love talking about on the podcast, uh, partly because they were made from recycled bottles. When I started out, I wasn't looking for shoes made from recycled bottles. I wanted a sort of mid-market pair of shoes, something that I could take out on adventures that had a good amount of grip were comfy looked nice and then when i found out that these things actually had drainage holes that you could swim in them and when you get out of the water not like a normal trainer that's then full of water it drain itself because it's designed that way and it was made from plastic bottles i think it's exactly what you've just said so how much of that do you think is i don't really know the answers i'm just purely asking but how much do you think of that is seasonal and how much of it do you think is a or well, we could just add a decent level of features and people will want our products, regardless of in my example, the eco-friendly trend at the moment. Hopefully it's not a trend, but <laughs> it, yeah. it's certainly a big topic.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I I know for us in particular, being in apparel, we stay away from fashion. We are all basics. And that for us, we don't have to follow then what is fall fashion, what is spring fashion trends. It certainly allows us to carry more inventory because we know it's gonna sell through and it's not gonna be out of fashion the next semester. So I think for those running Shopify stores in the apparel business, definitely an advantage not having to, at least in, in my mind, not having to worry about what the next trend is from an inventory standpoint. As far as how many features or benefits you pack into a product, I don't, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. It's probably very relative, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's it's
1: going to depend on the user, the product, and also probably the UX of the page, I imagine.
2: Yeah, I would agree.
1: Bringing it back to the actual store itself then, I think some of the things you touched on that I really like is is such a focus on product. Um, We've heard it again and again on the podcast, but then we've also had it again and again in terms of questions we get sent to try and cover off in episodes, some of the chat we get on our Facebook group, some of the inquiries we get in from potential customers. And a lot of it is a sort of, oh, can you make my Facebook ads better? Or you know, do you, what's the best way to drive free traffic to the site? And I always find a lot of these questions are very loaded and loaded in completely the wrong way. And I think one of the earliest guests I had on was about a year ago, a chat called James from Unbound Merino. And James was very, very clear that he said, the day we sorted our products out and sold good products, we didn't worry so much about our ROI from Google Ads. We didn't have to do as much emailing. We certainly didn't have to send massive promos out in the post and email campaigns or retargeting or trying to over-nurture our or sort of over-farm, I think farm's probably the best word, over-farm our communities on social media. People just received a great product. And actually, the messaging became really simple. And they were like, this is a great piece of clothing. I want more of this. If I go traveling, I... My whole suitcase could be full of unbound merino wool. That would be a great thing for me. That It's great to travel in. You don't have to wash it as regularly. And you see how they've instantly got a niche of travelers. Price is not cheap, but then it's cheaper because you only need one item of clothing, not 10. It means you're carrying less stuff on planes, et cetera. And I think there's, there's definitely been a real theme since we had him on the show, the same sort of thing. And you get a good product. You don't have to work as hard on this. I guess to change gear very slightly, but on the same sort of theme as products. Let's talk about product pages on the sides. What are some of the things that you guys find has worked really well for you? And obviously, so you guys have been trading for um, you know for sort of five and a half, six years now. What are some of the things that you guys have found have worked really, really well in terms of calls to action or any big changes you made to the site? And you sort of thought, right now we're really rolling. Now we're getting some real revenue in, and customers are just they're just coming through the door. We're not having to oversell or tweak everything sort of right to the end of its uh, ability.
2: Re-echoing what you said, Nick, I agree 100%. Like we did not even start driving paid traffic until two years in. Wow. And even then we did not have our site fully sorted. But to give you an example, like our conversion rate in May, well, so April, I pulled up Google Analytics here. April, we were at 4.47. May, we were at... 5.54. wow! And then in June, we were at, I think, 4.21. So that has taken six years to get there. I can remember the days when it was like sub 2%, then 2.5%, then consistently in like the 3.5% range. And up to where now we're seeing months where we're above 4%. And if we're running some kind of special promotion, you know, up above 5%. And then over Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend, we'll be all the way up into 7 to 9%. I mean, that, that is brilliant, by the way. Just to, <laughs> just to add, like, I think certainly when you look at conversion rates, anything above two is the
1: kind of benchmark. So I think certainly sitting, hitting four to five consistently and then hitting sort of seven,
2: eight over Black Friday is amazing. So, uh, no, well done. I think it's a real credit to you and the team. Yeah, thank you. And I think there's so often you could drive all the paid traffic in the world, but in particular in this environment post iOS 14.5 and the challenge in driving paid social or paid traffic in general, if you don't have that conversion rate there or your average order value up, it's just the numbers are not going to work. The math isn't in your favor. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I I completely hear you. And I think it's, we've not done anything on iOS
1: yet, deliberately, because it really is going to be a challenge for most retailers. Yeah, it should be fun. <laughs> if not, if yeah, not anything else. Yeah.
2: So, I mean, I can give you kind of a brief, quick history of kind of how our site evolved and that might, that might help. Yeah, definitely. So we launched with just one product, a black pair of pajamas in just the one color, four sizes. And it did okay. It kind of trickled in for the first three months. And then we launched two bras. And again, going back to that keyword research, that was from knowing that the demand was more for bras than it was for pajamas. Mm -hmm. And pajamas are a bit seasonal. They sell in Q4 more than they do in other quarters because they're so giftable. And so once we launched those two bras, sales really ticked up, like quadrupled. And so part of it was product, and I think part of it was merchandising. Once we had at least three products, it helped a little bit. It still wasn't much. So, our first goal really was to get to 10 products. And uh, in the beginning, our site, you know, there wasn't much on a, a category page, obviously. So, the site was certainly architecture was different because it just focused on those three products more on story. And again, there wasn't enough things to add to your cart really to get AOV up. And that was end of 2015, beginning of 2016. We just had those three products. We worked all through 2016, actually traveled to China to meet with our suppliers and launched like seven new products because our first goal was to get to 10 products. And you could see every time we added new products and merchandised a little better, sales move up. And still not driving paid traffic, really, at this point. We were maybe dabbling in a little bit, but it would have been just minuscule. And then 2017 rolled around, and that's when we really decided to lean into paid. And at the same time, simultaneously worked on building out the social team. So we hired four team members, one for Instagram, one for Facebook, one for email, and one for Pinterest. Mm. And really doubled down on on paid at that time and organic content and that at the same time just working on on on-site optimization really to get AOV up so i i often or not often always we focus on AOV rather than conversion rate for us if you can get your AOV right you can then you know turn on paid yes yeah. if it's too low you just you really can't do paid in 2017, we won the Shopify Build a Bigger Business competition. We were one of the eight winners selected. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And so that was over like a three-month period of sales. And we, again, since we hadn't done any real paid, it just happened to align. The stars aligned. The competition happened to be right when we turned on ads. So we would kind of went from a a zero to a, a much bigger number. Yeah, and then we added our another team member just to concentrate on Shopify. And she was just solely tasked with increasing AOV. And so for us, that we started rolling out wish lists, made changes to product detail pages, so on our PDP pages, making it where you could shop similar products and see them easily, frequently bought together, and just really worked on the copy and the imagery there. Hmm. and trying to answer all the questions we could, in particular around sizing for us being in clothing. That was a key thing. And then messaging about returns. So we've always had free shipping, free returns. We did add a threshold. So somewhere in there to get AOV up, we looked at what our average orders were and put in the free shipping threshold just above that. And we've seen every time we increase the free shipping threshold, it push AOV up as well. I think within a limit, we've kind of found a sweet spot where we're like, we don't want to go higher than that for free shipping, but certainly testing free shipping thresholds worked well for us. Since 2017 through now, the last three years really have just been on refining that, refining the site, the imagery, PDP and category pages, how search works, all of those things. Nice, no, nice.
1: So, right, there's quite a few questions I've got from this, um, and I really appreciate the story, and I think it's, it's an amazing journey. And I'm, I'm sure that some of the bits you didn't put in there were things like some of the sleepless nights uh, with what you're going to do in revenue and launching new systems in the background behind Shopify, that sort of thing. Yeah, a lot of those. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. I always like to add that as a, as a business owner myself. It all looks rosy when people say, wow, your business is doing great. And it's like, like certainly during COVID, it's a sort of coronavirus. Oh, that must be supporting your industry loads. And I'm like, yeah until i need to have a conversation with a member of staff and i can't even <laughs> sit in front of them or yeah all the rest of it or yeah tax has gone up a lot in the uk during covid because obviously we've got a big bill so we're anyway, not talking about any of that today which is uh, which is great news for both our listeners and us one thing i love is that you guys you said it several times average order value the fact that you focus so much on average order value yeah we often focus on quite a few different stats But I do think from certainly e-commerce business owners and e-commerce businesses, I hear a lot of talk about conversion rates. And obviously you ran us through some of your conversion rates just then. And I'm always slightly challenged by conversion rate itself. I always live by the don't look at one statistic in isolation, always look at the full set of statistics. Because if your conversion rate halved but your traffic quadrupled for free, well, that's not a bad thing. But average order value, you can completely understand it just in isolation. You don't need other stats to back up or where does your traffic come from or average order value is just the average customer spends this. And I certainly love the fact you mentioned about using it as a mechanism for your free shipping. I've never, I'd, I honestly never thought of doing that. I've been in this industry for 15 years now and I've never thought of using the free shipping above X amount to actually push average order value, especially if you're sort of, you're quite close to it. It's a bit like CPA bidding on Google where it's a sort of, if our cost per acquisition at the moment is $25, and we change it to 23, Google's system can probably get us $2 down, which across our whole budget, makes us quite a few more sales without any extra spend. And it's a very similar mechanism, which I love. Just out of interest, at the moment, it's obviously on the site, it's at $59. I'm Is that? I'm guessing that's the sweet spot that you guys have found. How high did you put it at times? Like What, what did you find was sort of over the threshold that was just too much?
2: Yeah, 59 is the sweet spot where we landed. We have tried as high as 79 at one point. And we've always kept it at kind of that 59, 69, 79. Early on, we had it just free just to increase that conversion rate. That's an easy win anytime if you can. Obviously, it's eating into your margins, but uh, free. And then I think the first one we introduced was probably thirty nine. Then we kind of bumped it up and tested in the, I think we did probably 49 next. We've kind of always done those $10 increments. I can't remember if we tested in between, but yeah, settling at the 59 mark. I think it's such a, such an interesting exercise. One of the ones
1: we've always, I've always found amusing was a case study from quite a big business in the UK called New Look, which is a high street brand here. Uh, where we are. And they did a test on their site years ago. I remember hearing about a conference where they added free returns to the site, but it took them six months internally to get sign off from the business. Because the expectation was, everyone's just gonna order tons of stuff now and return all of it. And they launched free returns and their total volume of sales, thanks to the conversion rate, had, had gone up by about sort of twenty, thirty, forty 40%, something quite <laughs> significant. And their returns increased by 1%. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. it, make it, it, it was a risk, and there's obviously a risk. And I think in the end, the marketing director who was sharing this, or I think she just moved on at the time, and so said, this is what we did back at New Look, she was saying that everyone was terrified. And I'd agreed, let's do it for a week or a month only and see what happens. We did it for a month. And the business were like, the business kind of came back with no questions about free returns. It was, what are we doing next? And she was sort of like, there's only so many silver bullets, not that easy. (laughs) This was a really, this was mind boggling successful in terms of uh, of how it works. Next question, again, coming back to product, because as much in this series, as we're talking about the design aspects of sites and how they're all put together, product is so important. And obviously you guys, you said you went out to China to get seven new products to get up to 10. On that trip, Obviously, going to China at any time is, is, is going to be fun. You know, it's an amazing part of the world, so much going on. Are you still with the same supplier there now? And, sort of, sub question would you say that that trip was one of the things that really, really made your product range? It was an opportunity to really 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 hone in and define this is exactly what we want from a product or was it And i'm I'm hoping the answer this is no was it just a nice to have trip that you guys learned a bit and and had a nice time sort of thing
2: so it was a nice trip we actually took both our our boys they were like two and four at the time so we spent some time just touristing and traveling as family so that was a lot of fun we are with some of those manufacturers still and i think it was super valuable meeting the because we met with factory owners and it was our entire family. So I think family and meeting the owners was both big to them. It was important for them to know like who we were uh, and what we cared about. And then for us, it was just really important to know that we were working with an ethical partner, ethical manufacturing, and what the actual working conditions were like in the, in the factories. So, yeah, super valuable. I think it's led for us, speaking on the business end, not necessarily on the Shopify end, much better terms. So, right, as an as e-commerce owner, obviously, it's all about inventory and holding inventory. And that is one of your biggest cash black holes, for lack of a better word. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so we've been able to negotiate better and better terms with our suppliers, whereas some of them are now, I think, 0% down net. 30 or net 60 or net 90 and that it's huge that means by the time it gets here you could actually already be selling product before you have to pay for it and if you can get on those uh, terms with your suppliers and build those relationships it, it can make all the difference to your survival i think as an e-commerce company just from a cash flow perspective yeah definitely definitely and i think we, we've done a lot of series over the last year with bright
1: Talking exactly about inventory management and forecasting. And I think, as you say, the more connection you can have with your suppliers, the better. There's nothing worse. And I think Trustpilot gave this example a few weeks ago on the podcast about what happens if you do all the hard work, someone orders the product, and then they get an email a week after their order saying, Sorry, we've refunded your order, it's out of stock. And it's like, you can imagine the pain in the customer, especially with products like yours where they're not ordering it for fun, they're ordering it because they have a real purpose for it. And you only need to have that happen once and that customer is never coming back. You don't know who else they know. And I think it's just really important to make sure that all the stock on the site, it is sellable, it's in stock. And I think this cash flow is absolutely king with e-commerce. If you imagine your warehouse, it's just a giant load of cash you can't spend, which can either turn into diamonds or it can just sit there as cash, depending on whether it gets sold or not. And I think there's obviously the whole strain of having stock lying around. and I think certainly smaller e-commerce stores that are trying to grow, I do think there's a real lack of understanding of this. It's almost like it suddenly becomes a problem when it becomes a problem, rather than if we just got our software right, and as you say, met our suppliers, et cetera, we could have avoided this sort of thing.
2: For us, it was, uh, 2018 was a super painful year. Speaking of sleepless nights, like you mentioned earlier, we had too much inventory that year. We had, had five negative months, so we were, we were bootstrapped. Wow. We're no longer bootstrapped, but all the way through the beginning of this year, we were bootstrapped. So, just trying to deal with negative months, then too much inventory, and to your point, you just have all that cash there, and it just all becomes about cash flow management and moving product. And fortunately, we were able to make our way through it. I think it made 2000. 20, 2019 to 2020, much easier because <laughs> 2018 felt a lot more stressful for us. <laughs> nice, nice.
1: I do think that stock is really, really key. I, we have it in SEO and obviously you worked in SEO, PPC. Like We've had it so much in the past. We, we have one with a client, I think I mentioned it again last week. One of their killer products just sold constantly. They then turned around and said, it costs us more to deliver that product on its own than we make from a customer buying it just because it's so heavy. If they buy it with the product, with the item it's supposed to work for, it's absolutely fine. But without that, we make a loss. And we were like, don't tell us this. Like We're getting like 20, 30 to one ROI on this product and we can increase budget on it and we want to. And they were like, no, we've got to stop altogether. And it, it, it knocks our overall numbers and it knocked the revenue back, but at least we knew we were a bit more profitable. and it's You've got to just take these things in the stride sometimes, unfortunately.
2: I wanted to follow up on your earlier comment on conversion rate and AOV. Yeah. So for us, I think the things that we've looked at early on and still focus on to push both conversion and AOV are one, I think not often thought about, but awards. So, you know, we're always talking about how you can decrease that friction point or uh, make it easier for the customer to buy. So for us, awards, I think definitely helped with conversion rate because if you see a, a product's been awarded some industry or third party award. Um, shipping speed, we've experimented and continue. In fact, we just completed a, a test on shipping speeds and free returns have been big. You already mentioned that. And the data on free returns, uh, we've even changed our window. So we had free returns forever in the beginning and we've tested forever. We've tested like 90 days, 60 days, 30 days. And there's a study out there that actually says longer return windows decrease return rates because people just forget to return it or are not they're not in a hurry it's not a
1: focus is it it's not a focus
2: so we've actually uh, keep our return rate i think right now it's at 90 days but in essence if you wrote to us and said hey i have an issue with this product we're always going to return it and i think that helps with the word of mouth as well sure and then shipping thresholds we talked about to get free shipping i think that's been a big part And then it took us forever, but we finally got the Ajax cart in cart upsell. So if you add like certain items, like two or more items or different items to your cart, we'll have a little, like it pops into the bottom of the Ajax cart where we can put offers in there to increase that AOV. So that was big on AOV that we pushed for. And then not thought of, I think often is again, going back to that, just merchandising to increase AOV. The biggest thing we did was create bundles. So take two or three products and bundle them together and then discount them. And you can do that without feeling like you're discounting the brand. If you're like, we don't want to be a brand where you're always 20% off or you're always 30% off or whatever that threshold is. But you can do a bundle where it creates this value for the customer where they can see they're saving $20. Since we're looking at it from that standpoint, it both increases your conversion rate and it increases your AOV because it's a saving. So I I cannot say enough about bundles for pushing AOV. We've certainly used them
1: a lot, especially when somebody puts an item in their cart and it then says, this is part of a bundle. And suddenly the average order value has gone from one item to, they might order three things, but it's two and a half items worth of order value now, instead of just one. So I massively, massively endorse that. No, all of that sounds great. And I think going back to what you said earlier, and I'm probably gonna be quoting this for months now, I love the fact that in terms of the Steve Jobs quote, this isn't actually about asking customers like, would you buy it more if it was buy one, get one free? Because you know you're going to get a resounding yes. doesn't mean that we should buy one, get one free every product because as you also said, it it can devalue the brand. That is incredibly important, especially if you're focused on repeat orders, word of mouth, referrals from existing customers, reviews, that sort of thing. You want to make sure that actually you can just sell at a decent price even if it's not quite full, but you want to make sure that there is a a decent expectation on it. Yeah, certainly, I think bundling things together and making sure that you're putting something forward that the customers do buy. I think there's always a balance though, isn't there, where another one of our guests last summer did say that uh, Google Analytics, for example, will tell you what's happened, but it doesn't always tell you why. And sometimes you can get so bogged down with thinking like, everybody left the site when they saw this page here and then you go and look at that page and realize actually this is where you're sent after you've completed an order yeah. oh it's great that they leave at that point yeah, yeah. they've purchased yeah. <laughs> so you might you might then find that they're automatically sent back to the home page or to my account page and you think why is everybody leaving the site when they look at their account let's improve that page No, no, that's the end of the buying journey yeah that's absolutely fine for them to leave at that stage i think Again, it's context important, but sometimes going through the process or even sitting there watching a customer use your website. I always love the idea of telling a customer think out loud and use the site, and I'm going to sit here and say nothing. Just going to watch what you do and tell me where you think oh, I wasn't expecting that, or this should happen, and, and sort of you let them go through it. Yeah, those doesn't are mean great. you're going to do everything that comes out of their mouth, but...
2: Yeah, those yeah. those studies are great. But yeah, I think I think bundles have worked really well. Free with purchase, we will order some items knowing that, hey, we're going to run a promotion for Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and we want a hat with every purchase over, say, $100. And, and really picking that threshold where you're looking at your analytics for what's the threshold and how can we push that AOV up just a little bit more. Yeah, definitely, definitely. What I'd love to finish on is is a quick,
1: just quick overview around team. I think team is something we don't cover enough on the podcast. And you mentioned about hiring three people to work on social. And I think certainly one of the questions we get a lot, just generally sent in is, I don't know when to hire a staff member or what they should do, or what your first staff member, or we've got budget to hire two people. I don't really know where to put them in the business. So we're not going to answer those questions specifically because it's so dependent on what you do. If your product requires loads of customer service, you probably do need some people on customer service to explain to customers how to use the product or what to do if something goes wrong, et cetera. But I do think talking about the the people you hired for social, I think could be a really interesting place to end. And so my first question on that note is Pinterest. We've done a bit of work on Pinterest over the years and had generally a lot of success with it. Lots and lots of traffic hitting the site not a huge amount of conversion so i'd love to understand what was your i mean you're laughing as if you've seen the same um, and what, what's your experience specifically with pinterest being i do think it's one of the one of the most effective but least used social channels on the web
2: yeah i agree with you i'm laughing because we see a lot of traffic but not a lot of conversion <laughs> maybe you're one of the ones who submitted that question to me uh, over the last few months But. Uh,
1: um, so yeah, how, how do you guys approach Pinterest? Like what's, the, what's going on?
2: We approached it with the hypothesis that this is where she's at. This is where our customer is at. We know she's there and using Pinterest. And so we want to be present there and producing content on that channel. The original assumption was also that it would drive traffic that then converts. We haven't seen that hypothesis prove true. We do get quite a bit of traffic from it to our blog. So I, th- I do think it's a good source of traffic to the blog. But I mean, if you look at, certainly if you look at last click attribution, Pinterest is like nothing, right? It's the bottom of the bucket. Obviously it gets better if you look at first click. I think it's kind of hard to say. For us, we've adopted at this point the stance of, we know our customers there we want to be present we know it's another touch point so hopefully it keeps us top of mind and we're creating value and content there and if they do visit we know at least we're pixeling them and then retargeting them via facebook instagram or other channels but we have not ever cracked the the paid pinterest side it just never panned out for us or or even really organic seeing it convert from a last certainly a last click or even really a first click standpoint I just think the user intent is totally different there.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely top of funnel. I think is the is the phrase, and it's a as you say, some you know your customers there, and I think it really is about keeping keeping front of minds. I've been saying for months, and I keep getting um, I call them complaints, minor complaints from listeners saying that I keep they keep quoting me saying you keep saying we're not covering attribution models today. When are we going to cover it? So. I have emailed a couple of people saying, Do you want to come on given that you're an analytics agency or you specifically help customers and send attribution? And genuinely, all they responses are no. I don't want to talk about attribution. What we mean by attribution model, just for anyone who's like, What the heck is that? Attribution is how you attribute your revenue across different channels. So, as we were just saying about Pinterest, it's hard to know if like 30, 40, 50% of your customers, but purely hypothetical. 30 to 50% of customers might be coming from Pinterest initially, just browsing about, looking at some lovely pictures and, oh, that's a nice product. And then two or three weeks later going, I'm going to buy that, straight onto Google, type in Kindred Bravely, come into the site, purchase it. Connecting those two instances together is so difficult, even to the point of where you said about feeding your remarketing audiences and retargeting. It's hard to even know where the people in those audiences came from. And you only need... Given that this is a i mean it's a family product, I know it's mainly for her, but it's a family product it's a product you would have when you've got a family. So what are the chances of people changing devices and then you've lost any hope of tracking anything? It is really difficult and so trying to get an attribution model of saying on average, ten percent of our customers come through Pinterest, forty percent through google shopping and you're just never going to nail it down. And so it sounds like what you guys have done Garrett is actually say, well, we're just going to make sure we have a sort of evergreen presence across some channels where we know our customers are. And then we'll actually focus most of our attention, just very sort of diehard bottom of funnel where it's like, I now need this product today, which I think is a very common, common way of approaching
2: things because it's it's proven to make money. So we worked at the tail end of last year, we worked really hard on attribution <laughs> model and i'm not surprised nobody wanted yeah. to do it you made me laugh there nick cuz it's like oh my god trying to get attribution model done so we we tried google analytics attribution beta we, you know we used that toyed around with that with facebook looking at cohorts and attribution and then we came it came down to we had to build our our own attribution model we built it from the ground up using raw Shopify data nice. from source and, and then it was as much, I wanna say just intuitive looking at the data and then making assumptions on our own based on those three, Google Analytics, Facebook and raw Shopify data. And in the end, having to be subjective and just saying, look, we're gonna attribute this chunk that we can't tell to this channel because we believe that to be true. So to your point with users switching devices, I mean now even worse with third-party data and data restrictions in general. And ad blockers, cookie-free browsers, yes. And ad blockers. Yeah, I think you've, one, it's gonna take a ton of time and resources. You need some very sharp individuals And you have to intimately understand your business because there's a large part of just doing the data modeling that's gonna be subjective. Cool. Well, thank you so much for that. It really is a tough one with attribution. And I think what you said about
1: Pinterest absolutely makes sense. Some of our clients call it like a community project, and not in terms of your actual, sort of charitable community in your area, but the the community project in terms of just managing the digital community and doing your bit for the web as a whole and e-commerce as a whole. Obviously, with your name on it. So then, when people do come to buy, if you're the worst thing is if, if you're on Pinterest all the time. Uh, worse is in trying to track this. You're on Pinterest all the time. People see the name a lot, and then a lot of them end up on your website to buy a product anyway. And then they go, "Oh, I've heard of these guys. I'll buy from them." How the hell are you ever going to know <laughs> where they heard about
2: you from? It's it's just not going to happen. So well, and I I think the thing about Pinterest as well is their ad platform is just rubbish like we kept waiting for them to improve it and figure it out and I think like obviously Facebook figured out their ad platform fairly quickly they iterated on it but man i don't I don't know what's with Pinterest but their ad platform they just have not improved to the point of making it usable
1: yeah and for anyones listening, I can't remember the exact date but we did actually have a uh pinterest advertising expert on the show called nina many many months ago i think it's probably towards the end of last year during a series of ppc which so if you want to tune back and listen to that i mean great but even nina was saying that the platform itself given it's her full-time job is managing ad campaigns for her clients on pinterest it's still not where it needs to be really isn't the, the challenge is there's, there's so many good platforms out there that you'd think they would have played with all of them and gone well that's that's useful let's do that sort of thing and In the same way, Bing has very much copied Google and Bing is becoming a good platform now, which um, I never thought I would say. (laughs) I've never said a good word about Bing and here we are. But um, anyway, Garrett, it's been so great to have you with us. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing so many insights. And um, yeah, it's been great to uh, to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you, Nick. It's been a pleasure. Enjoyed it. Great stuff. Great stuff. And for anybody listening, um, we are probably going to have my friend Rich next week um, or the week after talking about design. We also have a couple of those special guests lined up, ready to tune in to talk about various uh, various different aspects of building a killer Shopify store. So we're going to try and keep it nice and varied, lots of different opinions. Thanks for tuning in again for all our regular listeners. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Hope you're staying safe. We'll be back again next Friday. So please take care and we'll see you then.
0: Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.